The quality of the following podcast you're about to listen to is a tad questionable considering it was recorded over a Zoom call keeping in mind the norms of social distancing. Now, if you're someone who likes their content crisp and to the point, you could head over to our YouTube channel, VUTV by Vijay Bhumi. I repeat, VUTV by Vijay Bhumi, where you could find small videos featuring key takeaways from all the sessions that you listen to on the VUTV show. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Navneet Sharma, and with me I have uh, Mr. Sandeep Khanna. Hello, Mr. Varun Sood, uh, the authors of uh, excellent of an excellent book, Ajim Premji, The Man Beyond the Billions. While I can see some of you are. Uh, joining in uh we will begin the conversation uh with some introduction and then go uh, proceed with the uh substantive part of the discussion uh which will draw from the book uh which mr khanna and mr sood have uh, both of them have written as a matter of introduction let me mention to all of you uh mr sandeep khanna is a regular columnist for money control as well as the morning context which is a subscription only uh, business news outlet uh, in his journalism career spanning over 30 years he has been a senior editor at publications such as business today financial express before retiring as the executive editor of mint the co-author of the book uh, mr varun sood is deputy business editor at the morning context earlier he was a national editor in charge of the breaking stories at mint He is a Bengaluru-based technology journalist who started his career with Business Standard, and in the past 14 years, has worked with a number of publications, including Financial Times and The Economist. The Economic Times, I beg your pardon. And both of them have recently written a book titled as Azim Premji: The Man Beyond the Billions, which has been published by the Harper Collins Publishers India. before we uh before i get uh, get you the some introduction of the book uh i want to invite both the authors to make uh, some preliminary remarks on about their life and about the how they approach the whole subject then we'll come to the book mr kanna you want to go first sure thank you so much professor thank you for inviting us we can't see most people beyond uh, professor navneet but uh, hello to everybody um i mean we be uh, between the two of us we've been journalists for close on to 50 years bulk of it of course is uh, to my credit i was a journalist for almost 30 years and uh, you know we've dealt with several subjects in the course of our journalism careers and uh, premji was always a bit of an enigma partly because he's a you know he's a bit of a figure of mystery he doesn't talk too often he doesn't meet people in the press too often you don't see him you know uh, very often at industry dues and uh, you know of course we were aware that he's made these uh, donations huge donations to philippo to his philanthropic foundation and then last year when he made the 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 last and the really big uh, donation to his philanthropy we were kind of intrigued enough to want to look at his life and that's where really it started and uh, you know we we spent about a year researching and writing the book and harpakal collins the publisher and our agent anish chandi they kept prompting us with questions saying maybe you want to look at this maybe you want to look at this part of uh, of his life 
and and i have to say that you know one of the most enriching parts of the book was meeting people a lot of them in bombay who worked with uh, mr premji some 40 50 years ago and i remembered him with fondness so yeah just those couple of words and uh, maybe varun you can talk about it uh, hi everybody uh, thank you professor for having us and we hope this session is productive to all the people who are joining us on a sunday uh, sandeep's already given us a quick introduction about how we approach the book just a couple of lines uh, azim premji the, the the way we see it Uh, the story of azim premji is probably more important now than ever before for the simple reason a it also gives us a new way to look at capitalism where it is a kind of a humane face and where his philosophy that we are not owners of the wealth we are trustees of our wealth this is really of huge significance in the current times where we are living probably also because the way he's run his business for over 55 years corporate governance ethics have been the cornerstone of the way he's ran his business now it industry in india is probably one of the most transparent and when it comes to corporate governance it's always ahead of the rest of the sectors but over here wipro still has an edge over some of the other companies and if you really want to understand mr premji we would again like to emphasize a new way of capitalism a new way of entrepreneurship after all yes his was a family run business when his father set up the uh, company in 1945 but to his credit from 1966 all the way until 2019 before he handed over the reins of the company to his son a lot of things which mr premji did and it wasn't always a bed of roses he's had his share of failures so so to speak but his story is actually the embodiment of also what a student a management student or a middle class student or a middle class executive who's looking to set up his own startup can look at so that's about the uh, learnings from mr premji thank you right thank you very much for those preliminary comments i think uh what you just said uh sounds like uh you know serious uh, uh somebody being a serious disciple of mahatma gandhi who propounded the principle of trusteeship and of course there are a number of good businessmen uh in post independence era number of them such as the tatas the bajaj and uh, birlas they have shown a great appetite for uh for uh, you know philanthropy and some kind of uh a uh, kind uh, kind face of the business but i think in the recent times perhaps premji is the uh, is the most uh, important name to reckon with when it comes to such a big uh, money being pledged for philanthropy and particularly in the area that last 5 years uh, both of you would concur that we have seen emergence of the csr regime the corporate social responsibility regime which requires companies above a certain threshold to pledge 2% every year of their net profits right yeah. but in in this kind of a regulated regime somebody coming forward and pledging such large sums uh, stands out i think uh, without any doubt um, and i can see uh, in the chat box uh, uh, kritika thank you very much for your comments uh, his philosophy of living life is very similar to the philosophy 
popularized by Michael Sandel in his new book, Tyranny of Merit. And I can see some hellos. Hello, Sachin, Swajit, Alka Pagare, T. Ashwini Patro. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome, everyone, once again. Those of you who have joined us late, my name is Navneet Sharma, and I have with me uh, Sandeep Khanna and Varun Sood, uh, both authors of Ajin Premji, The Man Beyond the Billions. Uh, let me uh, speak about uh, about the book, and then uh, I will invite the authors to provide us more uh, more meat on the from the book. So for, uh, for over the five decades, Ajim, uh, Azim Hashim Premji, as, he, as his full name is known, has been one of the trailblazers of India Incorporation, uh, taking over his family business of vegetable oils. I think we have heard this story at various places. At the young age of 21, after the untimely demise of his father, he built one of the India's most successful software companies along with a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. As of 2019, uh, he was the 10th richest person in India with an estimated net worth of $7.2 billion. Yet the one facet of the man which has overshadowed even his business achievements is his altruism, his ability to give. His commitment to the Azim Premji Foundation, a nonprofit foundation, which focuses primarily on education, totals around $21 billion. Yes, you heard it right. $21 billion, I must repeat it. Making him one of the world's top philanthropists. Ajim Premji, the man beyond the billions, the first authoritative biography of this iconic industrialist shows how Premji is a philanthropist at heart and a businessman by choice. A man who wanted to give away his billions but realized early enough that he would first have to earn them. Uh, Mr. Khanna and Mr. Sood's book, uh, that it peels the layers of Mr. Premji's life while chronicling his professional and charitable work in the context of his many strengths and shortcomings. They have been very balanced, I must have, uh, having gone through the book, they have been uh, equally digging both on the strength side as well as the shortcoming side. Uh, based on the interviews with hundreds of current and past Wipro executives or Wiproites, as they call it, who have over the years worked closely with him, as well as with competitors, analysts, family, friends, industry associates. This is, uh, yeah, this is the author's account of the Premji, the man, the businessman, the philanthropist. Uh, for us at Vijayabhumi, it's a great pleasure to have both of you in this special edition of the Dialogue with Dean. At Vijayabhumi, we have these regular dialogues to dig deeper on what is impacting our lives. Uh, Vijayabhumi, as you may be aware, is India's uh, first liberal professional university located in Karjat near Mumbai. It's equidistant from Mumbai and Pune. As of now, we have five schools, Jagdishet School of Management, School of Design, School of Law, School of Arts and Humanities. And soon we will have a School of Music to offer an undergrad program uh, in music. Uh, and, and today in, the, in our audience, we have, of course, in our students, faculty members, researchers, but also a number of business executives from outside. Uh, our conversation, uh, we will focus principally on three aspects, as you may have gauged already from the preliminary remarks by the authors. We will try to focus on Prenji's charity. Uh, we will also try to take a look at the corporate governance standards and then the person Azim Prenji is. 
let's begin with the charity uh why this uh, i mean in your assessment why this such a big contribution through philanthropy why this thought because not many are thinking like this in india so why i think premji may have thought of it first a, a peep on that uh, both of you please sure uh, varun if i can uh, start and then maybe you can uh, add on uh, to it yeah so uh, you know the the interesting thing um, um, is that uh, you know it's not like azim premji for 50 years has been this philanthropist who's constantly been cutting out checks and you know helping various kinds of uh, uh, various kinds of uh, activities various kinds of causes now in fact till a fairly late stage in his career he was very clear that his job was really to run an efficient and successful business which paid its dues to the government which paid its taxes there is we talk about uh, this incident in the book where uh, you know when uh, when we shifted to uh, sarjapur uh, where they have their um, uh, main offices a lot of it companies were uh, were based based there and there wasn't a proper road going from bangalore uh, to to sarjapur and and you know the the these it companies they got together they they spoke to the government and said can you build a, the, the road there was a pothole road it was it would take hours to get to the office and then finally people like mr narayan murthy and some of the other it uh, leaders decided that uh, forget it i mean instead of waiting for the government let's just build the road ourselves and and the strange thing is that uh, you know uh, mr premji was one of those who said no i'm not going to participate in this because it's not my job to build roads i mean that is the government's job that's what we pay our taxes for so so you know the the notion that he he came into philanthropy later in life at a certain stage around 2000 uh, is important to understand however the spirit of the philanthropy probably goes back to when he was a young boy um, maybe 7 or 8 years old and his mother uh, she was a wonderful lady who used to volunteer at a children's hospital in bombay near haji ali and it was a children it was a hospital meant for children with uh, who was stricken by polio and and she used to volunteer help the children there often cut out checks help them with money but she would always be there and you know azim as a young boy he would actually accompany his mother and and you know obviously when he's seeing his mother doing all of that work uh, there was some kind of you know spirit that he imbibed from there and through his career he he's been known to be an extremely kind man i mean there is an an instance we've talked about in the book where somebody came to him and you know was an ex employee and said that i've left the company but unfortunately you know i've got cancer i don't have the money and he immediately gave him a certain amount of money to help him out however the larger cause of education of setting up a philanthropic foundation that really starts happening only at the turn of the century and uh, and you know maybe it coincided with uh, with his uh, you know his coming into all this money because after the Wipro's listing of its uh, stock at the and uh, at the, the NYIC, Azim Premji briefly became the richest man in India. In fact, in those days, the 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 you know it used to be said by certain newspapers that you know the amount of money that he had, thanks to his stock and thanks to the listing of his stock, he could actually have bought a company like Reliance. Uh, so you know the market cap of given the market cap of Reliance. Uh, so you know, maybe around this time he starts thinking. And this is a very simple man. His habits are simple. And like one of his executives said, that no matter how many billions he's made, 
he eats the same food that he used to eat he used to he wears the same clothes he travels the same way so you know there is this new thing coming in okay i've got all this money what am i going to do with it i don't really have any personal use for it i'm not going to buy a private jet i'm not going to buy apartments in the us or in london or wherever so you know he starts talking to his senior people and you know the idea of a foundation comes into being and being a very thorough man the kind of man who's a very careful businessman a careful person he spends a lot of time thinking through what is it that he should do and you know he had a couple of close associates with whom he discussed he he took the advice of people around him and then he came upon the idea that you know educating the educators was probably something that was a fundamental change agent that could change the way education in india is uh, is happening and and that's probably where it where it all started varun you would want to add to this yes. <laughs> particularly on the education piece if you can throw some more light i i said that uh, as is very left that the education was the focus how this was chosen and what kind of interventions they are choosing to make if you can throw more light on that that would be quite illuminating yeah lovely before that uh, just for the all the people who are there and listening to us so 21 billion was the topic amount in march 2019 sandeep and me just did this exercise as of 13th november the corpus of the endowment has actually increased to about 26 billion now how it has increased anyone who reads the book will understand that it's not just one cash being donated there is a component of wipro shares there is a component of fringe invest and then there is also a 2.5 billion dollars cash which is available with the endowment so that was that's just the first quick comment which is not there in the book perhaps right. it would be of interest right now coming to the education bit now it was around 97 98 like uh, uh, sandeep mentioned that is the point when he started discussing with some of his senior executive that i have got a little bit of money he was still not that rich the he was a billionaire but he wasn't the richest indian which he eventually became at the turn of century in india in 97 98 he started a preliminary discussion that i want to do something big something to contribute the society rather than just signing off a 50000 check or a 1 lakh check and a couple of areas were discussed healthcare was discussed to give it to the farmers was discussed maybe to do something for the democracy it was discussed and eventually education was discussed now in education also over four or five months the discussions which were happening in the field of education was should it be tertiary education setting up mba schools or should it be the private schooling sector or should it be the primary education so by this i, I just want to give you a little bit of a, what should i say a teaser that it wasn't that somebody who got up one morning and just wrote off a check there was almost a year and a half of discussions of mr tenji with his senior executives what he should be focused on eventually it was discussed that it's it's to be primary education and one of the quotes which was once mentioned to us but we didn't uh, write it in the book was that 
the executive asked Mr. Prenji that if you are who you want to do education, why do you want to do primary education? And Mr. Prenji is supposedly uh, remarked, if you are going to wear your shirt, before your shirt, you're going to wear your underpants. Now, I cannot be thinking about Persian education, I cannot be thinking about university till the time the basic foundation. And I want to focus really on primary education because once you educate a child, most of your other problems will be resolved. So as a kind of a true nation builder, and we don't want to really paint them or talk like in a hagiographic manner, but education as a sector was chosen because we thought primary education could uh, kind of rectify most of the challenges or problems faced by a developing country like India. Of course, in education, it hasn't been a smooth ride. Anyone who reads the book understands that the present focus of the teacher training and development happened only around 2011. So the first decade, starting from 2001 to 2011, Azim Prenji Foundation, under which they work uh, in the primary education space, they did almost all sorts of experimentation. They wanted to do online, they wanted to change curriculum, they wanted to even give students better printed textbooks. So it was a whole you see, uh, I don't want to say that loosely put, even in the field of philanthropy, it was more like a kind of an entrepreneurial approach where money was being splurged. If the result went happen, they were quickly pivoting to the new. And that is how the present day Team Premji Foundation focused on education. The journey has happened. In the book, we focused on it in a lot more detail. But I will not get into many of those bits for now. Thank you. I must make a mention here to both of you that, you know, <clears throat> when I, I'm, uh, because both of you have reported uh, uh, on industry and incidentally, Mr. Khanna, your Twitter account says company outsider, very interesting one. So, uh, you know, uh, when, when the around 2013, 14, when the CSR provisions, the section 135, was being uh, deliberated and was being notified. I remember uh, in a number of uh, you know consultation meetings, uh, a lot of industry people used to react that this is one more tax. And uh, since I was part of the ministry at that time, uh, okay. to uh, argue that you know uh, it is the entrepreneurial spirit of the industry plus a little bit of money that which is required. And when Mr. Sood said that, you know, it is the entrepreneurial infusion of entrepreneurial spirit in the education sector, the way they experimented with variety of options and interventions, and then they chose how it will, what is working, what is not working. It's so glad to, uh, it's so pleasing that, you know, uh, here is somebody who's not only giving money, but has time, energy and entrepreneurialism, uh, so to say. So great. And in terms of the impact, uh, do you have very quick remarks on the uh, early impacts or the impacts which you envision going forward from this? In I know it's a it's a work in peace. It's uh, it's a work in progress piece. So therefore, it will maybe it will be a little early to say that 
X in X impact has happened or Y impact has happened. Uh, as a as a watcher of CSR space, I can only say that a lot is yet to be unfolded. But on the impact side, if there are any remarks from both of you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it short because I think this is something that, um, you know, Varun actually talk a lot more about. Uh, but, you know, one of the failings of the foundation and therefore uh, Mr. Azeen Premji has been the inability to make the kind of impact that you would expect almost $2 billion of spending to have made by now. I mean, that's the kind of money that the foundation has you know, he's given and the foundation has spent on, on, on this area. So we haven't seen any visible results. I mean, very simply put, would we say that the standard of education in the country at the primary level has improved dramatically? You know, the answer would have to be no. Even in, you know, obviously right now, it's not all over the country. There are only certain states and within those certain districts where where uh, the foundation is operating. Uh, even there, I mean, the, the result, initial results have been mixed. And to be fair, 10 years is a long enough time for us to start seeing some change, if not all of the change that 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 is envisaged. And, and you know, the results have been disappointing. And uh, you know, although he's got some very very excellent uh, executives, both um, you know Anurag and Dilip Ranjikar, who kind of co were the co-chairs and co-CEOs of the foundation, uh, they're very committed and very dedicated uh, people. But somewhere structurally. Uh, they don't seem to have got their act together. And perhaps now that uh, Mr. Premji stepped off uh, from his executive position at Wipro and he's devoting most of his uh, time to the foundation, maybe he can make that uh, make that change, uh, you know, in, in terms of this thing. But the interesting thing is that I think that's, uh, it's not something that is going to deter him. Because I think even when he started off, he knew that this is one of those activities where you pour in all the money and you probably don't see the results in your uh, in your own lifetime. And it's something that he's prepared for. Because change is so fundamental that it's probably going to take 20, 30 years uh, you know, before, before we can actually see some change. Uh, Varun, your thoughts on this? Lovely. Before I just allow me one minute. Just allow me one minute to make a comment quickly on CSR. And this is the thing which we never really mentioned in our book, but since Navneet has mentioned it a couple of times, I just thought I'll quickly say. So when this legislation was passed, you'll be surprised, or I don't know if you know this tidbit, Mr. Premji wasn't in favor of this legislation because he was one of the view, he was, he, and I believe he still holds that view that giving cannot be made as a kind of a rule or a legislation. And by giving or by making companies that you need to spend 2% of your profits on CSR, it leads into all sorts of complications. So there should not be actually a kind of a legislation, something what you also attributed, that many people thought of it as another form of a tax. But anyways, that was just the one remark I wanted to share. Secondly, Sandeep has said already that in education, there are not many visible so-called takeaways or markers to really call it as a kind of a success. It's not, I, and both Sandeep and me somewhere agree with it, that as much as there could be challenges with Mr. Premji's foundation, we should also understand the task at hand. It is so humongous, the challenge. I mean, they are not setting up their schools. They are working only with government schools in 50 districts in six states. And what is the what is the problem they are trying to address? 
all government's teachers in 50 districts across six states, they should teach better. They should improve the way teaching is conducted in classes. All of this is voluntary. So the problem at hand, where you have to work with district authorities, state governments, all of this is voluntary. I mean, they conduct their own workshop, Azim Prenji Foundation, but none of the schools is it compulsory that all the teachers need to be attending those sessions. So, I mean, being an edu in the field of education, Navneet, you will appreciate that the problem at hand is really humongous. In fact, this is something which even Bill Gates writes in his letter, that 20 years back, coincidentally, Gates and Melinda Foundation also started in the year 2000, the same year with Mr. Prenji was starting with his foundation. Bill and Gates Melinda Fund initially thought that education will be the easiest challenge to come across. Guess what? In 2020, when they wrote in their annual letter, Bill Gates had the humility to say that education has actually proved to be the most difficult uh, problem to address. Yeah. Healthcare seemed to be a lot more easier. So just to, I mean, not taking away from the fact that the foundation could do a lot more things, but I'm just trying to put the things in perspective. here. Thank you. And I think to be fair with the foundation and, and their work, uh, the work of the school, government school, is also controlled in a way, the transfers, the provision of infrastructure, Num a large part of that is controlled by the government, which the foundation cannot influence. So maybe that is one of the reasons why the success seems to be delayed or the impact seems to be delayed. Perhaps I'm just adding my two pence to your analysis. So spot on. Brilliant. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, but I think to be fair, uh, the, the very selection, uh, the two points I want to highlight before both of you is that the very selection of government schools and the very selection of working with principals and teachers. I think uh, uh, there are adequate evidences that the in right intent is rightly placed. Absolutely. 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 So that's very much there. And I think uh, uh, we will have greater success from this uh, philanthropic work of uh, Premji Foundation. Let's uh, shift our attention. I can see some questions. Kritika, I hope you got the answer. How Prenji got the influences? Yes, very much. As the, both the authors have said, influences of the early life certainly were there. So I hope you got the answer. There's a question by Sridhar which says that to both of you that if uh, Azim Prenji were listening into this webinar now, what questions would you pose to him <laughs> that you were left wanting to ask him directly in your research? Maybe a quick, quick response to that. That's a, that's a brilliant question. So compliments to uh, to the person. Yeah, we, I mean, uh, we, you know, we were in fact with the we were discussing it with Hindustan Times had done a video a couple of days ago, and the same question uh, she asked us, and you know, the answer was very simple. We would have asked him all the decisions that he took, which we've written about uh, from other sources. We would have liked to have asked him what was behind, uh, you know, those decisions. What was he thinking of when he made those calls? Even, even something like, like you said, you know, education. Now we've spoken to people who worked with him, but we still don't know was it something that he was walking on the road one day he saw a government school and decided that, you know, I want to do this. So 
you know the, the there are things which are there in his mind this is a person who's not he generally doesn't talk too often uh, so you know we would have liked to have asked him a lot of those questions you know there is there is a section of the book where he talked about his experiments with the ceo of his company i mean at one point of time he became the ceo subsequently he tried a co ceo model both of which were you know not particularly successful so what we would like to understand is that you know what was he thinking i mean it couldn't have been an impulsive decision because he doesn't do things impulsively you know he doesn't get up like varun said one morning and say let me become the ceo of my so he would have thought about something he would have thought it through so why did he do that and you know those are the kind of things we would have liked to ask varun anything you want to add i'll just ask a question what what makes him happy what makes him happy that's it okay i'll keep it simple for the right. <laughs> that's that's very kind of for him to really pose a question uh, which perhaps i'm sure he can answer easily let's uh, let's let's uh, uh, shift our attentions which uh, our only mentioned in your introductory remarks that how uh, wipro has been particularly keen on maintaining high standards and i think as business reporters both of you would have would agree that generally the corporate governance standards leave much to be desired i mean of course uh, sebi has done a lot ministry of corporate affairs has done a lot to improve that but nevertheless a lot of ground remains to be covered again uh, you know taking a clue from the philanthropic piece what may have motivated prem ji to adhere to or conform or install in the in play in, in the place in the first place uh the high standards of corporate governance the most obvious reasons you could mention is the ability to attract right investment and so on and so forth of course those are there which are at the surface but uh as researchers have have you noticed something deeper which uh explains this behavior of the individual and the company at large lovely yeah. sandeep should i just go first yeah yeah please please that's good so uh Napneet, it's very interesting over here because corporate governance seems to be a buzzword now. But if you look closely in Mr. Premji's life, and we mentioned it in detail in the book, he came back, and after the untimely demise of his father in 1966, at a young age of 21, he's asked to take over the company. Guess what? Six years later, in 1972, he writes something called as Wipro Values. now i believe uh, almost all the audience of ours is uh, business education uh, our students all of them are pretty well versed with amazon's uh, one of the mantra that is customer centricity they'll be surprised in wipro values as part of the three values back in 1972 mr premji had said customer centricity is what we stand for mind you it was a vegetable oil company then it journey started only in 1980 again from 1970 to 73 he was very clear that he didn't want to do the business in the gujarati traditional style where you have two sorts of accounts you have a safe and where people sit down and manually write whatever uh, revenues are coming in whatever purchases are being made and to connect that he started going to the iams from 1973 74 and it was a very difficult task for him he used to literally 
from morning to evening for three days, just hang around in the canteens, trying to hire people. So when we talk about these corporate governance, it starts from these basic things. Back in the late 70s, he made it show, even though there was nothing, there was no obligation on him, that all the annual reports, now annual reports, when we look back, we see a 250, 300 page glossy document with almost all relevant, irrelevant things. Come to think of it, here was a company in 1978-79 putting out 25-30 page annual reports disclosing almost every available detail, including the remuneration being paid to the top 10 executives. There was no obligation, yet they made it. In 1983, he, when he finally took over as the chairman from his mother, his mother was the chairperson from 1966 to 1983, and Mr. Premji was the managing director. But Mr. Premji took over as chairman in 1983. What was the first thing he does? He brings in professionals to run the company's board. Until 1983, Wipro's board comprised largely of family and friends. But here was Mr. Premji who was very clear that in the board, I need people who can challenge me, who can help set the company on the right direction. So, of course, there are lots of anecdotes about how people who being paid for a first class and if they take a second class, they get fired. Those are, of course, there. But all the corporate governance, it stems. It's not something which is pretentious. I believe he genuinely believes in these things. And that's why we've seen it over the last four or five decades. Thank you. Sandeep, over to you. I think uh, against that background, I just to take it forward, since the discussion is really about corporate governance uh, and, and, you know, Wipro is, I think, just one piece of it. All I can say is that, you know, if uh, if more Indian, uh, more of Indian industry had followed the corporate governance norms laid down, not just by Wipro, but most of the IT sector in India, we would have had a much cleaner business environment. And the interesting thing is that, you know, what started as a belief with this man that, you know, we've got to do business the right way, otherwise it's not worth doing. There were often occasions where he would actually give up business because it might have entailed, you know, bribing someone or paying someone off. And, you know, eventually, if you look at it, for the IT sector, this actually became a differentiator. Because when the IT sector in India is essentially, a, you know, it's a factor of uh, global clients. You know, they are servicing banks, they're servicing manufacturing companies all across the world. They probably wouldn't have got the business that they did, did if they hadn't started off with, you know, corporate governance as a as a basic criteria that, you know, you need uh, certain hygiene factors without which we can't do business. So it's actually paid off for them. And to that extent, it's it's a very interesting phenomenon that I wish a lot more of Indian industry, and you mentioned that you know we've had so many instances over the last few years, in particular, um, you know where companies have been found wanting on corporate governance standards, and uh, and and of course you know eventually it helped uh, because you know most of the IT companies in flow in, in India they are debt free. So the biggest uh, you know the, the place where most companies which have got into problems with uh, with regulators is where they've taken either loans or where they haven't paid their debts or, you know, most of the companies in India, IT companies are debt free. So probably it helps in that in that sense. But uh, just, just to add to what uh, Varun said, so it basically stems from a belief 
that we do business this way or we don't do business. Uh, just yeah, one yeah. Here. Yeah. and I'm sure you will like this. Uh, his son was in the US, Rishad, the elder son uh, from 1990s. And as a company, the company always provided the chairperson and the founder a landline phone. And Mr. Premji has always had this habit. But sometimes his wife, Mrs. Yasmin, um, Yasmin Premji, she used to call up her son, speak with him at length, so on and so forth. At the end of the month, and this is a story which has been told to us multiple times, when the bill came, Mr. Premji was very, very particular that all these calls have been made as private. Hence, I'm going to pay it from my own pocket. Even though Wipro may have provided me with a landline, all personal calls, I have to pay from my own pocket. Now, this is a, I mean, I haven't heard in my 15 years as a journalism, uh, as a journalist, such kind of stories. So that's, thank you. That's precisely, you know, intrigues us uh, that, you know, where does this, uh, you know, impractical level of integrity. Where does this come from? Because, I mean, businesses are known to be practical. I mean, I mean, as Mary Parker Follett says, uh, the ma uh, the manage the definition of management is art of getting things done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when that is what, including the Western world and our own sweet Indian world, business is the name of getting things done. Where does this man? you know, uh, gets his impractical level of integrity. This is the question which intrigues us. Any reflection on this? Because this is impractical. You see, he set such unusually high standards of integrity and probity that, you know, uh, his colleagues, I am sure, even if they appreciate this conduct, find it in nearly impossible or extremely difficult to emulate. Absolutely. You know, I, I, it, you, you are absolutely right, uh, Navneet. I mean, it, it, you would imagine it would be impossible to do business under the circumstances, you know, when you set yourself these standards. The funny thing, however, is that uh, once the world outside starts understanding and getting to know that, you know, they have a Lakshman Rekha and there is no way they will cross it. So, so you, either you don't do business with them or if you want to do business, you'll have to do it on their terms. I think that happened eventually, not just with Wipro, of course, largely with Wipro and Mr. Premji showed the way, but it happened with you know most of the IT companies in India. And I could say the same about an Infosys, for instance, which has had some issues with related to corporate governance, something came up here and there. But generally there is a, there is a, you know, there, there is a clean way of doing business, which most of these companies in this sector decided very early on that, look, we'll do business this way. And the funny thing is, that the survivors and the ones which have done well over the last 25 years of the IT journey in India, 25, 30 years of the IT journey, are those companies which stuck to these uh, these values. And there were many, you know, there were many which were kind of, you know, which cut corners, which, which said, look, I mean, I, let me get this government contract. I, I'll pay a little bit. They don't exist today. It's probably the reason also why, you know, despite the fact that the Indian industry started with manufacturing, uh, you know, or at least assembling computers, printers, and various other peripherals, that part of the business is almost over now. Because that entails selling in the domestic market largely to, you know, government agencies, government authorities, or public sector undertakings, where we know that there was a lot of underhand dealings that happened. 
and and eventually that business just died out and what was left was business with the rest of the world where of course you're right i mean it's not like multinationals are all clean and all you know squeaky clean but there is a there is a certain air that you know we know business on certain terms which are which are internationally recognized yeah, that, that's my two penny on it so the second second point which i am taking home today is that you know beyond philanthropy i think premji has also giving given us this uh this lesson that you know it is possible to be clean in this supposedly unclean world it is possible to do business it is possible to succeed with clean business practices absolutely right right and before we get to the personal side of the person i want to pick up one or two questions here there's a question from alka pagare there's enormous work going on in csr how does he sees india from 10 years down the line after the interventions i think it's a uh, it's an extension of uh, the impact question we deliberated any quick uh, observation on this nothing beyond varun you want to add something nothing, I... nothing for now sir thank you right. i think with your best for you know qualified to answer that actually <laughs> well i think uh, well if you ask me my my take is that uh, the work on school teachers school principals because the methodologies which are being developed by premji foundation right. once they get maturity you will see some dividend being delivered by them so but it will take some time that's true where well, there is another question by ashwin patro and he says could you focus some of the factors that was in favor of his odds for shift of soap to software business yeah i think that's a good question by patro so you know several factors <clears throat> largely uh, you know the business environment itself was changing i mean they started off with uh, as you know um, you know oils they were manufacturing uh, oils for uh, for the for the market and and by the 70s it was evident that there were environmental issues that the business itself was not going some place and you know premji was looking for businesses which would scale up faster which were also uh, you know which had the potential to grow and obviously he was also because he studied at stanford after all he went there to become an engineer although he came back he had to cut short his uh, you know his stint there uh, you know so he did have that engineering background and he was looking for something which would allow uh, a technology uh, kind of a play uh, you know and uh, soaps was one of the business that was a by product of the oils business that the company was doing it's something that uh, you know by by the 70s they were already into into the soaps business and and there's some interesting tidbits in the book about uh, soaps beyond soaps is where the real journey of the conglomerate starts and incidentally i let uh, varun uh, just take it from here but just a couple of uh, points uh, incidentally the soaps business as they call it the consumer products business which is now clubbed along with the engineering infrastructure business that they have which is actually a privately held company wipro enterprises that itself is about a billion and a half in terms of uh, sales although it's a private business for so exact numbers uh, we know and, and, and you know it's probably valued at multiple billions and and we pointed out in the book that some people we spoke with also mentioned how uh, mr premji is might be looking at donating a part of his shares in that business as well to foundation and if when when that were to happen that would probably be another few billion dollars to to the philanthropy uh, that he come in so so yeah varun you want to add uh, 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 no, uh, why did he make the switch from 
the cooking oil company business into the IT business. There were a couple of factors. Of course, A, that was also the time when most businesses wanted to become conglomerates. And Mr. Premji, when he was looking and we have tried another tidbit which we can share is that IT was not the first business which he was trying to look into uh, or rather expand into. It was the scooter business in back in 1977, which Wipro wanted to get into. The trigger for IT was clearly, and everyone knows about this, this is public knowledge, that IBM had been forced to move out of the country. There was a huge vacuum and Wipro thought that this is not a very capital intensive business. And if we are just able to get the license, we will be able to make a mark in the IT sector. They started with the IT hardware, assembling the printers, the CPU, the whole computer desktop. And then the services journey happened way later in 92, 93. In fact, I, Wipro was actually, if you look at the IT pack, it was the last to get into the IT services. TCS was the first in 1968, then Infosys in 1981, and probably after HCL or it's, it coincided along with HCL in 92, 93. Right. It, thank you. Right. I think very important, uh, I mean, very succinctly you have uh, summarized the how uh, Wipro was able to make the shift and what factors uh, were in their favor. Um, that's that's really nice. And uh, let's look at the person uh, Azim Premji is. Uh, I mean, all of us know that he is fiercely a private person, right? We know that. But then such a private person how he has been able to demonstrate his success as a good team builder. That's that's a kind of a contradiction one sees. Uh, you know, what what kind of interactions you had with ex, uh, current or former teammates? What is what is the insight you have on that? That a private person being a good team player. Sandeep is best. Uh, Sandeep can answer this. Sandeep, over to you, sir. So, you know, there is, in a sense, uh, the private person is what we see in, in public uh, as media people, as people on the outside. And, and you know, that's, that's, that's a different persona of the man. Uh, internally, I mean, all the people that we spoke with, including people who worked with him in the 70s when he was very young and they were very young, and, and a lot of them who probably le who, have, who left the company some 30 years ago, uh, they speak about him with a lot of warmth. Uh, because, you know, while he is a private person, but he's also very good in one-on-one -on -one interactions in making people feel very special about themselves. And he doesn't do that with the usual soppiness, but it's just his style. For instance, we spoke to this gentleman in Bombay, uh, Abdul uh, Razak Ganj, who'd worked him in this, with him in the 70s. And, and he'd left the company after five years. Now he works else, elsewhere. And, and this, uh, you know, a very gracious old man that we met, and he told us stories about how he and Azim Premji would go out in Bombay to eat the Hipuri, how they were, he would, you know, at that point of time, Mr. Premji used to drive, uh, you know, he was almost a reckless driver and how they used to drive around town and how the, he would steal a cigarette uh, from from uh, from this guy. You know, so, so very warm kind of uh, uh, person. And even till date, I mean, uh, somebody told us the story about how he was traveling uh, to Europe at one point of time and he was in London and he heard that there was a family picnic happening. I, I forget where, but, you know, somewhere which is about two hours from London, maybe it was Manchester or Birmingham, I, I forget what, where it was. 
and he immediately took a train and went to the family picnic and you know there were these 100 families for people who work for wipro their wives their children all of them there and he just went and you know he spent the whole afternoon with them and you know posed happily for pictures with them so and you can imagine what that does to the spirit and the morale of of of, of you know the of the employees and he's very popular with with families of people who work for his company probably a bit more from you know uh, popular than he is with the executive themselves because you know, they have to take the brunt of his this thing whereas he is all charm with with family so you know the genuineness of the man comes through he is who he is if he doesn't like something there is no way he will hide it you know and 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 you know his habits are simple so he blends very easily with some somebody who is even a junior executive in the company because he's not wearing an armani suit whereas junior executive is wearing you know a, you know a different kind of a shirt he likes the same kind of food you know if you are from bombay he loves bheja bheja uh, what bheja curry you know brain curry as they call it in bombay and he'll go looking for a small little outlet where they have excellent food so you know he's very comfortable with with his roots and that comes through in his interactions with his people of course what we also heard and what you know a lot of people told us is that even in within the company even people who work with him for 25 30 years are still with him and he does inspire a lot of loyalty so people have stayed on in the company despite the fact that wipro was never really the best paymaster uh, you know because they like his value system they like working with him they like the fact that he doesn't throw his weight around purely because he is the lala ji you know it's not like they need to they, they can go and argue with him they can say i don't agree and he says okay maybe you don't agree so you know that gives them a certain amount of license uh, but uh, but you know the, the 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 even people who stayed with him all these years say that they, at the end of the day he's a private person he's not going to share his personal life or he's not going to joke about his personal life with you there is a certain restraint but that's the kind of person he is with everybody it doesn't mean that with some people he is different and some people he is uh, you know and then the particular anecdote about uh, his personal life when his mother passed away how he wrote to everyone that please be uh, don't visit me so that also shows that uh, how fiercely he guards his private space absolutely and also how how careful he is that look Uh, you know you're all working for a company and the work of the company can't stop because of a personal bereavement in my family you know that has to go on so i will take a bit of time off for whatever has happened but you know everybody else needs to get back to work as soon as possible it he's a workaholic i mean uh, i don't know varun anything you want to add to this yeah nothing is something you just said it i mean one of the biggest complaints we heard the most often we heard was people who would say you know 5:30 in the morning he would be on the phone calling up people and saying can we have a review now right <laughs> on the uh, you know corporate governance i just a uh, quick reflection i want to give and uh, seek a confirmation from both of you is that has he been able to successfully keep the company above him most industrialists fail in this test you know most people keep themselves above the organization uh, what is your observation has he been able to keep the organization above himself uh, sandeep i'll quickly give one uh, answer and over here this is a theme which we haven't written in the book but it's a great question here navni firstly so uh, premji has a family office called premji invest and of course there is wipro his large it company premji invest at least until a few years back was 100% owned by mr premji 
Wipro has 74% shares owned by Mr. Premji and 26 by public. Now, Premji invests, like you know, it invests in all IT startups all over the world. Wipro also had something called as Wipro Ventures. Now, Wipro Ventures is also a kind of a corporate venture arm where it also invests in startups. Now, very early when Wipro Ventures was started in 2015, sometime in 2016-17, there was this issue of conflict of interest that if Wipro Ventures is going to invest in a particular startup, what if that startup also raises money from Premji Invest? Now, Premji Invest has a corpus of about $6.5 billion, while Wipro Ventures is just a tiny little $100 million corporate venture arm. Now, as you are aware, if somebody has deep pockets, it can always give more money, raise a much better, higher stake, and raise the valuation of that startup also. Mr. Premji was always clear that when it comes to IT services, Wipro Ventures is not going to invest because that will be a kind of a conflict of interest. Even if it invests, it will always ask Wipro Ventures first that here is a potential startup which we want to invest. Does this align with the interest of the Wipro? So to answer your question, he could have not done this. He could have just allowed Pengi Invest to invest in any startup. All that money would have come into him, but he had the interest of Wipro first. And hence, he said Wipro Ventures would always be a priority whenever it is investing in tech, in technology companies. Did it answer your question? It does indeed. It, it does. Uh, I mean, the best indicator about any, person, any person's intent is his action. So I think you answered it squarely. Thank you very much for that. Uh, then on the <clears throat> coming back to the person, you know, uh, the second contradiction I see that we have heard uh, a large number of stories how conservative he is in, in his spending. Right. And uh, you have noted that I wish the cafeteria food was as good as that. So you noted that. Right. So he's not really a great uh, uh, spendthrift, so to say. But uh, one sees absolutely no reservation in giving. While he's a great earner, but he's also a big giver. You know, again, a bit of a uh, bit of a contradiction, so to say. But he carries both with equal ease. Uh, I think if you can reflect on this, uh, how he carries both his conservative side on one uh, in half of his personality and on another one where he's able to give with ease. I'm um, so so you know the uh, the here's the thing you know he the money that he has earned is a consequence of doing a certain activity uh, which is his passion he loves to work he loves to do his business and you know that's what he's always done uh, he's done it honestly he's done it to the best of his ability Wipro isn't the highest performing Indian IT services company it is probably one of the better performers. So what he's earned, he believes, isn't something that, you know, he kind of, he has a right to. It's something that has come as a consequence of the business that he's run. Uh, his spending habits are exactly what they were 40, 50 years ago. 
so that hasn't really changed he sees no reason why all the money that he's earned should change the way he looks upon you know spending for instance for him a car even 50 years ago was just um, you know a kind of a vehicle to take him from one place to the other he sees no reason why that should change today which is why the brand of his car hasn't particularly changed today he doesn't drive around in a 5 crore rupee car you know a maybach or anything of that kind he believes that any car would would do just fine the giving part of it is what you know at the beginning we were discussing it the concept of trusteeship he believes right. that the wealth that a businessman and industrialist earns doesn't actually belong to him it's something that he holds in trust for society and that is what really he's he's kind of uh, he's he's doing so that's why it's it's very easy for him to give it's not really something that he struggles and gives a little bit i mean just think about it that you know today at this point of time he's given up 92% of his wealth he's not committed you know that's the point a lot of industrialists commit by the end of the life they will give up or they give 10 20% today 20% later he's already given up 92% it's not money that can ever come back to him you know so i think that really is uh, i think we have exhausted our time but last last uh, point you know he uh, through his uh, stake in the in various businesses and uh, generally he comes across as a person who is in full command he controls the businesses fully right that's the that's what you get to read uh, from the books uh, and as well as from his conduct but when it comes to transition uh, of course it, the transition has happened within the family so that's one reason but i generally one has a sense that the transition has been more or less smooth right. there there hasn't really been much of a, a discontinuity or jerk or so to say any uh, any you know gap in between uh, so how this has been managed that would be our last point and then we'll wind up i know there is one question from tarkesh seeing his love and work for india towards what is the interest of mr prem ji inclined between leveraging indians or humanity as a whole i think that's too large a uh, observation but over to both of you now varun i think that question is really I'll just quickly sum it up here, Professor. A great question again. Now, again, if we look into the Wipro, the transition bit, where uh, the reason behind why it has been so smooth is that he, it was always clear that Rishad is going to take over from Mr. Premji. It there was, मतलब you didn't have to be a rocket scientist. The question was not if but when. but the beautiful aspect of this was that remember rishad joined wipro in 2007 and from 2007 all the way until 2017 he moved across and worked at different departments of the company in fact one just little anecdote and again we haven't shared written it in the book i remember sometime in 2014 2015 when rishad became a vice president he became a vice president before that he was just working as another normal employee and when he became a vice president his first remark was wow i can travel now on certain distances as a, a on a business class ticket so uh, the the key to your or rather the simple answer to your question is the way he's managed his son's transition also unlike in some other companies where the siblings of the founders when they come they normally join at the board level or at a much senior level here was a man who made sure that his son worked across different departments for 12 years before giving him the reins of the company and one last point 
credit to Mr. Premji, at least over the last one year we have seen, and we don't expect it to change. He's not doing any backseat driving. He stepped down from the company as chairperson, and he's letting his son run the company the way he deems fit. Thank you. I think that's a very, very profound statement you have made. And I think that speaks volumes about the person. Any closing remarks from you, Mr. Karna? No, that's, that really sums it up. I, it's, been, it's been wonderful talking to you. And I think, Navneet, thanks to all the great questions that you raised, which allowed us to actually think back and look at things we, may, we might not even have explored otherwise. But what a great pleasure to have both of you. Uh, fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We are going to put it up on YouTube for so that people who, have, who could not join can also view it uh, later. But uh, I look forward to uh, our continued engagement and possibly another occasion you could address our students one-on-one, -on -one, uh, either on the campus or online. Thank you very much for taking time out. Thank you Great very much. Thank you, Professor, for having us. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Thank you. Thank you. Have a pleasant evening. Bye-bye.